0: Amen, I can't get over uh, just the, it's only been two weeks since Easter, but I can't get over just the reality of that day. And I've I've been consumed with just the narrative, the biblical narrative of of the resurrection and what happened after. And I, I just keep reading it over and over and I can't escape the fact that Jesus keeps appearing to people. And I am so encouraged by that. And I'm so um, uplifted because I'm reminded that no matter where I am in my journey or where you are in your journey, Jesus will keep appearing to you to help you, to aid you, and to guide you. I want to thank you before we get into the message um, just for your faithful giving and just remind you that if you haven't or if you're able, that you can just check on our website and give online. There's an easy link there. Um, And also, if you want to choose to do it by snail mail, uh, you can do it to one of our two uh, addresses that you'll find on our website. I just want to thank you. And uh, God is good. And we continue to just declare that God is good. He's the Savior of the world. He he died for the sins of the world. And that He's the only mediator between God and man. And we just praise Him for that. And so we will continue to carry on that message as His witnesses. So praise God. This morning, as I mentioned, I can't escape... uh, that Easter message and what followed after the resurrection. And so we're in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. I am not going to read our text because it's long, but I encourage you either on your Bible app or an actual physical Bible that you would follow along um, wherever you are um, in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And it is another account of Jesus appearing to disciples who were, Wondering who were on a journey, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an account that we're probably familiar with if you're a Christian, but I just want to highlight, and I'll go through the narrative, but how these two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, that they made three choices, they made three decisions, actually, to help them when they were disheartened to move from a place of confusion and bewilderment to a place of joy and joy, And wonder by the resurrected Jesus. I love that because God constantly wants to move us from that place where we are either confused, we're discouraged, we're we're completely lost in our thoughts, and we can't reason through things. But He comes to us and He grants us and He gives us His joy and causes us to be filled with wonder because He's right. They're with us alive and well. And the first choice that these disciples made, and we'll go through the narrative, is that they made a decision to accept an interruption in their lives. And, in, and we can find that in verses 13 to 27. And our passage starts off with two disciples heading out from Jerusalem on a seven-mile journey to their home in Emmaus. Now, these are not one of the 11 disciples, uh, the 11 remaining disciples that were following Jesus, that were close to Jesus, the 12, but he, the broader circle of disciples that followed Christ. One of their names is Cleopas, and the other is a close friend. We don't know who the other one is by name, but maybe it was even his wife. We, we don't know. But the two are friends, and they're caught up in a conversation as they're walking on this seven-mile trip home. And they have so much to talk about, probably and most likely about the events of the past two weeks that had led to the crucifixion of their friend, Jesus. And then, as all these strange reports are now swirling about an empty tomb, angelic visitations, and the perplexing news That Jesus was now alive. I think their conversation went all over the place. They were theorizing. They were sharing their feelings and their emotions. And they were wondering if it's actually true. Is it just rumor? I know that a disciple said this and Mary said something we heard. But is it really true? Now, let me just pause and and make a connection here with how this is so relative, again, to our lives and how the Bible applies to us today, right now. Now, if you think about Jesus' journey to the cross, there's a parallel to our lives. I mean, think about it. We've all had our Gethsemanes, haven't we? Or can I say, don't we still? These are the times we feel like crying out. And we want to say to God, Father, please let this cup pass for me. I don't want to drink it. It's too much. Why is everything happening to me? Set me free. I don't want to have to go through this. We've had those moments and maybe you still, even though we're two weeks after celebrating Easter, you're still feeling like you're stuck in Gethsemane. Oh, that's okay. He does hear you when you cry out. What about our Calvaries? Don't we have our Calvaries? There are moments, and, and certainly there was a moment in our time where, where we died to ourselves and were made alive to Christ, but we feel so alone, and and we cry out to God, and maybe you say, not just God, I want this cup to pass. I don't want to have to go through all this stuff. Why me? But you've actually gotten to the point and you say, God, why have you forsaken me? It feels like you're not around me. Where have you gone? I'm dying. Don't you see it? It's possible that you're going through a Calvary moment too, even though we're just two weeks out from Easter. But it's also possible for you to have a resurrection. In fact, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 6, That all who have been baptized into Jesus have been baptized into his death. And even as Christ was raised from the dead, we too are raised to walk in a new life. Jesus, and in Jesus, we can pass from death to eternal life. Man, that is just awesome. And it just, it's an amazing transformation, an amazing experience to go through In our lives. Now, if we have our Gethsemanes, we have our Calvaries, and we even have a resurrection experience and moments in in our lives, and of course, those things all do happen. Then is it possible that we can have an Emmaus journey and experience as well? Here we are. We're traveling down this road of life, and our hopes might be shattered for different reasons. Our prayers might seem to be unanswered. We're trying to deal with everything all by ourselves. And suddenly, Jesus comes and walks beside us. I almost feel like I can't even go on because that experience for me has been so real. When you're going through all kinds of things in life, And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And sometimes we're unawares, even like these disciples. And to these disciples, in a certain sort of way, Jesus is just an interruption. I mean, really, think about it. It would be like if you're walking along the beach, which we can't really do right now, but that's okay. But if we're walking along the beach, with your spouse or a really close friend. You're taking in the scenery. It's a mile and a half, two-mile walk, and you're enjoying everything, and you're talking about life, and you're sharing the good things and the bad, and you're wondering why things are, and you're just, you're just walking along. And all of a sudden, someone just jumps in. You don't even know who they are, and they're like, hey, can I walk with you guys? What are you talking about? How would you respond to that? What a strange thing to have somebody just Butt in on your and you're walking hand in hand, maybe, and they butt in and they wanna they ask you, What are you talking about? How would you react to that? I I don't know how I would react. Well, I think I do, but I won't share how I think I'd react. But it would be really strange, and it's annoying, and and these interrupt and not even just conversationally, but just things that happen in life and people that come along can interrupt us in our journey. And in the midst of their bewilderment, the disciples make the right decision. Instead of dismissing this person as an annoying third wheel, if you will, they allow him to enter their conversation. And surprisingly, the stranger starts off, who is Jesus, with this question, what are you discussing as you walk along? Perhaps it might be an innocent question, I don't know. But in the context of what was going on in Jerusalem, I wonder if their first thoughts were of condescension. They didn't maybe say it that way, but we don't know, but maybe. Because in verse 18, Cleopas responds this way. Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Let me just offer this. Applied to our current circumstances, it would be like someone coming into the grocery store without a face mask today, and then seeing that everyone else has a face mask on, ask the question, why are you wearing a face mask? That's what it would be like. And as the disciples respond to this stranger and they fill him in on the current events of the day, which you thought would have been so obvious, it seems that these disciples express, even in our scripture, that they have been let down by God. They had been counting on Jesus to be their redeemer, to be the one who would set them free from political injustice as a people from Rome. They were looking to Jesus to be the magic Messiah, waving his wand and making everything better for their lives. And they had developed these high hopes. And in verse 19, Jesus even says to them that he was this powerful prophet in deed and in word. And just a few days earlier, they witnessed his death. Let's pause for a moment here. Aren't we sometimes the same way? We put all our faith and hopes in God for answering some prayer for us. Maybe it's for a new job or maybe it's for a spouse or to make the grade or to make the promotion in your company or whatever it is. And now it's the third day. Or maybe it's the third month. Maybe it's the third year. And we haven't seen the results that we wanted or expected that God would give us. And so we find ourselves possibly delusioned and disheartened because we didn't think that God was supposed to work that way. He's a good, good father after all, isn't he? And so the disciples were so caught up in their confusion and their downcast hearts that they were missing resurrection, literally looking straight in their faces. I pray that God would help us to be open to holy interruptions in our lives. And maybe I've been using the wrong word all along. Maybe I should say that they're holy interventions in our lives rather than focusing on our life circumstances and personal agendas. You know, after listening to their shattered dreams and hopes of the two disciples, Jesus suddenly becomes the director of the conversation rather than the interrupter of the conversation. In verse 25, Jesus begins to address the disciples' dilemma by clarifying God's will as revealed in the scriptures. And he's not necessarily soft and gentle, per se, but he comes at them with a, I guess, a rebuke of sorts, if you read what he says. He says, how foolish you are. Now, again, I wonder if that was me with my friend, And I'm walking along the road to Emmaus, and Jesus interrupts and he calls me a fool. How would I react? How would you react to a stranger that tells you that? How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And as we look ahead to verse 27, Jesus continues this teachable moment by taking them on a walk through the Old Testament and challenges them to consider two key words, all and necessary. They needed to see all, everything, that the prophets had written about and how it was necessary, it was required, if you will, for Christ to suffer. Suffering was a prerequisite to glory. And the disciples, with their natural and simple understanding, with the perceptions, with their eyes and all that they had seen, they couldn't, they could only see the suffering of Christ as defeat. They couldn't have been further from the truth. For God had triumphed through the suffering of Christ. Christ. And I love what Paul writes in Colossians 2 about that, how he triumphed over all of his enemies, over the curse of the law, the law, nailing it onto the tree. And then he, he did battle when he was in the grave and he rose again and he was victorious over all his enemies. And like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we sometimes fall short of all of everything that God is challenging us to believe. See, we want all the glory of the good life, of the abundant life in Christ, but we are unwilling to accept the theme of God's story where suffering is a part of our growing intimacy with Christ. As Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, he says, I want to know Christ And the power of his resurrection. It sounds so awesome. And so like inflating and just ego building and strengthening. And we're just filled with like, yes, I'm a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ. And I know the power of his resurrection. But the next part of that says, and I want to know the fellowship. Think about that word. The fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other and they both come in our lives. To become, he says, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Why? Because they go hand in hand. We have to understand all of it, that it's necessary for Christ to go through that and that he's not still dead, he's alive. All this happened Because the disciples made the decision to accept an interruption, or as I maybe clarified, an intervention in their conversation and in their disheartenment. And now we see the second decision that the disciples made on their way from being disheartened to being filled with wonder. The disciples in verses 28 and 29, they make the decision to invite Jesus into their home. They make the decision, they make an invitation to this man, this stranger who is walking with them on the road. In verse 28, Jesus acts as if he is going to keep going further when these two disciples stop at the door of their house. And then appears he's going to keep walking on his journey wherever he's going. And he would have kept going if the disciples did not extend an invitation to stay. The disciples had probably been intrigued and they were wondering and blown away at everything that Jesus had said and they did not want to let go of it. It baffles me to think that in a split second they make a decision to create a way for this supernatural, spiritual awakening that they would experience at the table in their house. Had the disciples not asked Jesus to join them for the evening, they would have shortchanged themselves of a a gigantic post-resurrection blessing that they would have had. And it further blows my mind to think of how we might be missing out on the supernatural encounters we can have with the living Christ because we quench the nudge that inspires us to invite Jesus into our lives and our circumstances. Have you experienced this? I say, and not happily, but almost in a bitterly weeping way inside of me, that I've done this. I have, and when I have, I walk away from a person or a situation or a part of my journey, and and I realize in my heart of hearts that I, I missed out. And then I'm grateful at the same time on the other side that God is in control and gives me another opportunity to make the invitation for Jesus to come into my life and my circumstance. Why? Because he doesn't give up on us and he knows that the journey is hard, but he comes alongside. I love verse 29 where the disciples say something and I'll paraphrase to sum it all up they say stay with us in fact in the New American Standard Bible it says they constrained him to stay with them they did everything in their ability to to say please Jesus don't keep going stay with us Stay with us. I love that. I love those words. It tells me a couple of things. It tells me, first of all, that Jesus never invades us. He's not. He's not this rough and tough guy who bulls you over and makes you make him come into your life. He doesn't do that. He doesn't work that way. Oh, he might show up in a shocking way that blows your mind and knocks you off your feet to get your attention. But when he touches your heart of hearts and your faith, we can't help but say, stay with me. Come in and stay, Jesus. And they finally arrive home, and Jesus takes a step, ready to carry on. The King James, as I said, they urge him to stay. And the second thing that this tells me is that it doesn't take much to get Jesus to stay. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I'm not saying this to cheapen the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you, but to simplify how it all begins. All we have to do is invite him. Please stay. Please come in, Jesus. Open the door to your heart, your life, your home, Invite him to come in, and he'll be more than happy to come and stay, so much so that as he did with these disciples, he'll serve you. Oh, it's amazing. Verse 30 says that when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. It's amazing what happens when you allow Jesus to come. You start to see him for who he is. And after he left, the Bible says they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, when he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us. Please note that the transformation, the awakening that happens in our lives begins in the heart not the head. They're connected, but it begins in the heart. Oh God, let us experience this burning deep inside of us. A challenge for the Christian today is not to be content with mediocrity and status quo in our relationships with God and with the Holy Spirit. We are content to look so often and to actually never see who he is we're content to listen and never actually hear what he's saying and to be stirred and even motivated inside of us and then we never actually respond oh don't let that be you I don't want that to be me how different it was for these two followers of Jesus and as they and as we draw to a close because they invited them into their home and because their eyes were open to realize who was with them Let's finish the rest of the story very quickly. The disciples made one last decision. They decided that after their eyes were opened, that they were going to be the inspired messengers that Jesus made them to be. This was the result of this decision they made, that they first... accepted the interruption in their lives and that they also invited Jesus in. Luke returns, that they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, it must have been 8 or 9 o'clock. It was dark out already. They had gotten home in the evening. It was a seven-mile journey. They could have waited until morning, but that same night they started back. They couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem. And when they did, it says that they found the other disciples and those who were assembled with them. They rushed to the door and they knock, anxious to tell their story. But when the disciples opened the door, the indication from Scripture is that the disciples in that house all spoke before they could And they said, it's true, Jesus is alive, he's actually risen, he's appeared to us, he appeared to Simon. And they were standing there, blinking their eyes, wondering what's going on and saying, yes, we know it's true. He met us on the way, we accepted his interruption, we invited him into our home, we talked to him. And then he broke bread and we recognized he's the Messiah and he's alive, he's real, he's really here. Don't you sense the excitement? All these people are trying to talk at the same time. Man, I wish it was like that in a church. And it would be like that we're praising God all at the same time, ready to share with joy overflowing because we've all encountered Jesus. We've been interrupted by his presence, by his teaching and intervention of the truth, reconciling that with all that's going on in our lives that brings us confusion. And you invite him into our home and he serves us and our eyes are opened. And we can't help but be, we can't be quiet. We want to tell everyone. We're all traveling on this road to Emmaus. And sometimes our dreams are shattered and sometimes we laugh, we cry, our hopes are dashed. Whatever you're, wherever you're at, Jesus said that by joining these two disciples, this is what he said. I didn't come to take the road that you're on in life, away. I came to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you until we're home. And in the meantime, open the word so that your eyes can be opened and your heart is warmed. How long, as the praise team comes, how long has it been since you felt that warming in your heart and soul? It's so easy for us to slip into neutral spiritually and just allow things to come and go, to go worship just because it's Sunday morning, but never experience the stirring of God's Spirit in our lives, the warmth of His love and that relationship we have with Him, looking but never seeing, and we're we're listening but we're never really hearing. These disciples aren't content just to have a cup of tea before they go to bed at night after they've encountered Jesus. Tuck themselves into bed and feel all fuzzy warm throughout their being. No way. This was an ignition, ignition of their hearts. They were ignited in their hearts to action and they they had a bold declaration and it wasn't just a good feeling. It's good news. Good enough to get them back on the road. Headed back to Jerusalem late at night, regardless of darkness and unknown dangers, it was so life-changing that they had to share their joy. Where are you on the Emmaus Road of your life? Are you disheartened, discouraged? Or are you excitedly rushing back to Jerusalem with declaration of what God has done in your life? If you're disheartened, Or if you're discouraged, invite Jesus into your heart, into your home. Even if it's a mess, he's not scared of that. Even if you're confused and you're riddled with with all kinds of bewilderment about all kinds of stuff, he's not afraid of that. If you are not a Christian, if you're not a believer in Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you acknowledge today that Jesus wants to walk with you and invite him into your heart by faith? Maybe you are a Christian, but things haven't gone as you wanted them to. Do you, will you, recognize that Jesus is walking with you? Accept his interruption. Intervention, actually as he intervenes in your life, to reconcile all those things that don't make sense and he opens up the scriptures to you. Invite him to stay in your life and you'll be an inspired messenger declaring that Jesus is alive today. Amen.